In June 2020, Grattan Institute published a report called COVID Catch-Up, helping disadvantaged students close the equity gap. What we didn't know when we were launching the report was the huge impact this report would go on to have across Australia. One year later, half a billion dollars of funding has been dedicated to tutoring programs from both New South Wales and Victorian governments, and students are now getting the very real support they need. It's proof of the power of good policy research to change the lives of Australians for the better. I'm Kat Clay, Head of Digital Communications, and here to chart the course of this impactful report and where we can go from here in education is Jordana Hunter, Education Program Director, and Julie Sonneman, Education Fellow. Welcome, Jordana. Welcome, Julie. Hi, Kat. Great to be here, Kat. Now, Jordana, this is your first time on the Grattan podcast. You joined us earlier this year as Grattan's new Education Program Director. Can you tell us why you're passionate about education policy? Education policy is a real passion of mine. Um, it actually took me a while to, to find my way into education, even though I've been working in the area for about nine years now. I've traversed quite a lot of policy terrain before I arrived. Um, I've worked in everything from uh, international economic relations and international relations uh, to telecommunications competition policy. Uh, but now I'm here in education. I can't believe I didn't start here uh, right from the, from the outset. So I think there's there's three reasons why I really love education policy. The first is that it's a really complex area and, and policy wonks love a bit of complexity in policy. Uh, there's nine and a half thousand schools right across Australia. They're, they're in, you know, small country towns, uh, settlements in Northern Territory, right through to big metropolitan cities. We've got about 290,000 teachers uh, at any one time working with about 4 million students. So it really is a big, complicated area. And, and, and designing great policy is, is a really fascinating challenge. The other thing I'd say is education policy is really important. So being involved in education policy is really about imagining and designing the future. So the kids that we have in school today, uh, you know, it, it's 13 years till they, till they finish school in the future and we need to think hard about getting it right. And that's why I think sometimes education policy debates can be quite heated uh, because we're really talking about things that, that matter. It's the future we want for our kids and the future Australia we want for all of us. And finally, I just think learning is really exciting. So I love learning. I spend a lot of time uh, trying to learn new things. And um, as I've gotten older, one of the most exciting parts of my life is helping my own girls to learn more. Um, there's nothing more exciting than, than working with a child and, and helping them understand the world and grapple with that in a way that they can then influence it. And I'm just so excited that in my day job now, I get to work with teachers and policymakers who can help make that a reality for kids right across the country. Now, Julie, it has been a while since we've had team education on the podcast, and partly that's because you've been so busy advocating for better student outcomes. You were one of the lead authors on the COVID catch-up report. Can you tell us about the report and the impact it's had? Our main motivation for writing the report about, about COVID and, and catch-up is because we were, we were concerned back um, in 2020 about the impact that closing schools might have on learning. So we know that schools are really important equalisers in our society. They're really important in giving every student the opportunity to learn. And so um, with schools being closed during remote schooling, we're particularly uh, interested in the impact that might have on disadvantaged students and what that might mean for the equity gap. So our report looked at not only what is a likely impact on learning and the equity gap, 
but also what can be done from a really practical practical perspective. So we looked at the evidence around what are some of the initiatives that might help students catch up once schools reopen. And we found that there were one of the key recommendations was that investments in small group tuition seem to be promising. When you look at the evidence around what works, these interventions tend to have a pretty big impact in a short period of time. And we're pleased to see that not, not too long after we released the report, that recommendation was picked up by both the Victorian and New South Wales governments who had experienced the biggest school closures in the country. There's also a small pilot of tutoring that's now being rolled out in South Australia as well, which means that we've got three big tutoring pilots that are now happening in this year in 2021. Um, and we see this as being a really exciting opportunity to actually see how this idea plays out in schools, um, where, where it does work well, what, what are the size of the gains, and also learning from the instances where it hasn't worked well um, and why. And I think that's a good point you make and something we'll touch on a bit later in the podcast is, you know, the process of evaluating these programs. But it's a huge outcome from, from a report that we've written. And I thought what might be interesting for our listeners is hearing a little bit about the genesis of that policy change. So Grattan produces regular reports, but we also do significant advocacy work behind the scenes. What did this look like for you? So I think advocacy is something that Grattan does really well. So we put a lot of energy not only into writing our reports and thinking about our solutions, but really trying to influence the people who are in positions where they make the decisions on these issues. For this report, it, our advocacy was actually quite similar to a lot of our other reports where we, we engaged really strongly with people in government, with people in political office, also with the teacher unions, who are also a pretty powerful group in the, in the school sector. Um, and we engage with them from the beginning of the report just to prior to release to, to, really, to brief them on our key findings. Another key vehicle that, that we tend to use at Grattan is also to, to work with the media. We make sure that our messages get out on radio, in, in the newspapers. And it's not just because we like to hear the sound of our own voices, but it is because really being in touch with, with public opinion is, is really important. And it also can be a big um, influencer in terms of getting policy decisions up. For this particular report, I think the key ingredient for success in terms of its uptake was partly because of its timing. I think we really worked hard to get a report out quickly at a time when government needed it and was making decisions about how to spend money. Um, we knew that there was a lot of money going out on the economy in terms of fiscal stimulus money because of the impact of COVID on the economy at the time. So we knew that government were about to make some big decisions and if you could say something sensible at the time when they were about to make those decisions, it was more than likely going to get up. And that's a very nice lead into my next question for you, Jordana. And I think it's a bit of a big question because I want to know how will we know if these tutoring programs have been effective and an even bigger one is what if they don't work what if we find we've put this money into the programs where do we go from there you know we know that these uh, small group tutoring initiatives can work at scale that's what the international evidence tells us but what we really want to understand is how that works in the Australian context uh, what schools it works better for what are the key ingredients, I guess, to really get that improvement in student outcomes we'd be looking for? Um, it may be that different combinations of ingredients work better in some contexts and, uh, you know, you need a different set of settings in different contexts. So getting that fine-grained information is really important. 
The reason why this really matters is that the research suggests that small group tutoring could be an effective strategy to tackle all sorts of uh, student disadvantage and, and learning loss. What do we do if it doesn't work? Now, look, this is a part of evidence-based policymaking. We need to be brave and we need to accept that sometimes uh, we're guided by the best evidence available and we put systems in place and policies in place and they don't work. Now, obviously, that's not what we want to see, but if that happens, we need to learn from it. You know, education is a long game. We've been delivering education in Australia for hundreds of years now, over well over 100 years, and we'll be delivering it for hundreds of years uh, into the future, uh, thousands with any luck. So learning now is essential. Um, and, and, you know, the real, the real problem is not learning from mistakes. There will no doubt be pockets of excellence and there will no doubt be areas where we didn't get things quite right. And, and really what we want to do is capture that learning, spread the best practice across the system and, and build up the evidence base going forward so others can learn from us in the future. Thanks, Jordana. I think that's a great exhortation to why we need more evidence-based policy making, especially in the education sector. Now, I want to turn to what else is happening right now and what else you see coming out of COVID, um, especially out of lockdowns, as rising issues for the education system. COVID has really been akin to a pressure test on the education system. There are a lot of things that we knew were strengths in the system and things that were weaknesses. And COVID has just, um, I think, brought those uh, to the fore further. So we know we have a cohort of incredibly hardworking teachers and they they, you know, really um, put their shoulder to the metal during the, the pandemic lockdown and did an incredible job. So, so, so that's something we know. We've all been reminded of the tremendous importance of schooling. School is an essential service. Um, it needs to be treated as such. So they were two things that have come out of the pandemic um, that were already strengths and, and things that we knew on one level, but they've really been brought to the fore. I think, you know, looking at, at the, the weaknesses, perhaps, um, you know, we've always known that there's been big gaps in terms of the ability of students from different socioeconomic circumstances to access schooling. And I think COVID really shone a light on the differences in how remote schooling was experienced by different students, particularly those from more disadvantaged backgrounds. So there's been quite a lot of uh, research so far that suggested that, that kids that come from disadvantaged homes just had much bigger um, challenges in accessing uh, internet and computer technology um, in order to make the most of those remote learning opportunities. And we also know that some schools just weren't as well placed as others to provide a high quality remote learning curricula. So, you know, I think we need to learn from that going forward. There's more work that we need to do to make sure that every kid can access a high quality education under whatever circumstances going forward. Um, we also, you know, need to see um, that online learning has tremendous potential, I think. You know, there's there's a whole range of, of different opportunities to deploy really well-designed online learning. I don't think it's a substitute for face-to-face -face teaching, but that doesn't mean there's not circumstances where it could really help make lives easier and increase learning opportunities for different children in different situations. So I think there's so much to learn. Uh, unfortunately, you know, we're still in the middle of the pandemic. We've still come out of a lockdown here in Victoria quite recently that involved uh, school closures. Uh, but I'm really looking forward to the time where we can, you know, take a breath and really take stock of those lessons that we've learned and, and identify the challenges and opportunities for the future. 
So one of the things that I think might be a little bit controversial at the moment is this idea that uh, teachers aren't getting vaccinations as essential workers. They're only getting vaccinations through the age brackets. Could you talk a little bit to this? You know, should teachers be getting vaccinations um, just like health workers as essential frontline workers? Thanks, Kat. Yeah, look, I think it's actually really important that we speed up vaccinations for teachers. Uh, schools are an essential service, just like health uh, and hospital facilities and supermarket facilities. Um, really, we, we need to um, have a set of policy settings that mean that we can keep schools open for as long as possible, that they're only shut down at a last resort. And part of that is making sure that schools are as safe as possible. And, and you know, vaccinations of teachers, I think, is a really um, important plank of that. And I'd really be um, happy to see teachers, um, you know, having the opportunity to be vaccinated as soon as possible. There's also other things we can do to make schools um, safer settings during a pandemic. Uh, you know, really making sure that ventilation is um, adequate in schools is important and thinking um, about social distancing and hygiene um, standards in schools. So a lot of that has already happened, which is great to see, but I think more could be done and really uh, there's probably a little bit longer to run in this pandemic, unfortunately. Uh, it's possible that there may be outbreaks in the future and, uh, you know, school closures might be something that policymakers have to consider. What we'd really like to see is a more nuanced approach to school closures if possible. That might mean things like uh, just partial closures. So some some cohorts perhaps stay with face-to-face -face teaching while others learn from home. This might be something that we think really hard about with our students that are in the foundation to year two cohorts. Those kids really do struggle with online learning and remote learning because they're, they're still mastering the basics of literacy and numeracy. But by having some cohorts in class and some learning from home, we can increase um, social distancing in schools. And if we combine that with good ventilation and vaccinations for teachers, I'm hoping that we can really keep school closures to a minimum going forward. And I think that ties in very nicely with the findings of the COVID catch-up report, which is if we keep schools open as long as we possibly can and as safely as we possibly can, um, there's less opportunities for students to fall behind. But I think you won't find any parents arguing against this. You know, it's uh, something that will preserve the sanity of many parents working from home at the same time as well. I can certainly attest to that, Kat. I uh, I had to uh, finish um, my PhD last year with three three children doing remote learning at home during Victoria's lockdowns. And, you know, like many parents out there, um, it was a really tough time. Uh, there were definitely some silver linings. Uh, but, you know, I think we... Um, you know, most of us would agree that kids should be at school, not just for academic purposes and not just for the sanity of their parents, but also those really critical social, emotional uh, well-being dimensions. There's The research is, is fairly clear that, you know, a lot of kids really suffered from loneliness and social isolation last year. Um, it's great that we've got the technology that enables them to catch up with friends online, but we also know that's not always straightforward either. So, you know, we really do need to be trying to keep kids in school for as long as possible. Thanks, Jordana. Now, I hear that you have a new report coming up and you're doing some exciting research on that. Can you tell us about that? 
Yeah, look, this is really exciting. We're really excited to be tackling this topic. So so what we're doing um, at the moment at Grattan is we're doing a really deep dive into the question of how teachers are spending their time in schools and how they're supported to spend their time on really high-impact teaching activities. So there's been quite a, quite a few surveys done um, in the last couple of years that have suggested that teachers are really struggling to get to those high-impact activities. And we know that teachers have been really concerned about the workload that they face in schools. So what we've wanted to do is, is have a really uh, close look at this issue, unpack it, have a look at it from different perspectives and see if we can understand what are the really significant drivers on teachers' time and what, what's causing that kind of workload pressure. Because teachers, like any other cohort, you know, they're human beings, they need uh, enough time to do their jobs well um, and systems really need to be set up to make that possible for them. So some of the questions we've been asking is, you know, how, why is it, I guess, that, that teachers are feeling like this? We have a few hypotheses that we're working through, but some of them, um, you know, what we know is that like highly effective teaching is actually really quite challenging. I mean, this is a, a topic that Grattan Institute has come to again and again. It requires a lot of time and a lot of expertise to be a great teacher. Uh, it's a very data-driven profession. The expectations that every student can learn are, um, you know, are, are wonderful and they're liberating and life-changing for many students. But providing that really uh, targeted teaching that really is responding to students where they're at is not an easy feat and teachers need time to be prepared to do that. We also uh, have some evidence that the complexity of student uh, needs in classrooms is increasing. We've certainly seen that in relation to student mental health. You know, students are coming to school with a range of challenges, perhaps from their home lives or learning disabilities or just other things in the broader environment that are making learning challenging. And, and teachers need to have the time and the expertise to kind of respond to that really effectively. And lastly, we ask an awful lot of schools. Um, if you have a look at some of the policy documents like the Alice Springs Declaration, it sets out a really long list of what we want schools to be able to achieve and deliver for kids. Now, we love that. We, we think we should have high expectations. Um, at Grattan Institute, we're really excited that we've set our sights so high for schools. But we also need to ask ourselves, you know, are we doing enough to make delivering on these expectations feasible for teachers? So as part of this research, we're really um, interested to hear what teachers think about these issues and what principals are thinking as well. So we've got a, a big survey that's going to be launched shortly where teachers will have the opportunity to let us know about the things that are holding them back from uh, doing what they would like to be doing to deliver that high impact teaching in the classroom and also to think about some of the different opportunities for how they could organise their time and how school leaders and, and uh, policymakers could support them better to have that time to focus on those activities. And we're asking principals the same question. And, you know, it's really important, I think, that principals and teachers let us know their thoughts so that we can uh, provide some recommendations for government that will hopefully uh, support student learning and make teaching a more um, enjoyable and achievable job. And we'll put the link to that survey in the show notes. So if you are a teacher, please go and fill that out um, and you can get the link from there or on our social media channels as well. We'd really appreciate that. Apart from doing this survey, Jordana, I mean, how can other people support your work at Grattan? 
Look, uh, good policy is a team sport. There's no doubt about it. And here at Grattan, we are so fortunate to have had um, a number of tremendous uh, supporters for the work that we've done. So I want to, you know, particularly call out the Origin Foundation. They've done... Um, you know, a, a tremendous job supporting Grattan's work. They they were a supporter of the COVID catch-up work, which Julie talked about, and that really, you know, has the potential to to really alter the trajectories for for hundreds of thousands of children who suffered from COVID um, lockdowns last year. But not only that, they've also supported work that we've done at Grattan on teacher time use when we published on this issue in 2014, and they're supporting our current work as well. So they've done just a, a you know, a tremendous tremendous job um, really making a difference in the lives of, of children. Um, but it's not just the big foundations, you know, it's also um, individual people on the street. Grattan is fortunate to have a great uh, group of donors um, at that individual level. You know, even a small donation can make a real difference to whether or not we can get a project off the ground. Any support that you can provide is incredibly uh, appreciated. Yeah, and I'll echo that as well. If you feel like you could support Grattan's work, um, if you've loved what you heard today, um, can I encourage you to go to grattan.edu.au forward slash donate? And like Jordana said, any donation can make a difference and can help us get this life-changing research off the ground. I just want to say thank you so much, Julie and Jordana. It has been an absolute pleasure to have you both on the podcast again today, and I hope we'll get you on again soon because you're just so busy doing excellent work. Likewise, if you'd like to continue the conversation with us on social media, please follow us on Twitter at Grattan Inst and on all other social media channels at Grattan Institute. As always, please take care and thanks so much for listening. 